Hey everyone, welcome over to the Christ the King campus. Uh, I headed over here after we recorded the rest of the service so you guys could see the Christ the King sanctuary. But then I found this incredible uh, light from the stained glass windows making art on the floor. Check this out. There's the beautiful windows. And look at how cool that looks. So I was like, okay, we gotta just record it right here. Here we are. So, all right, here we go. Let's dive in to the scripture. Let me reset this just a bit. There we go. All right, let's see. Okay, we're ready to rock. Imagine this. You're driving down the road. You've got a car full of little kids behind you. Uh, you're running late because whoever isn't. And just as you approach the intersection, the light turns yellow and then red and you come to a stop. Quick, you call to the kids. Start blowing. What? What? Oh yeah, it makes the light turn green if you blow on it. Give it a try. That's not working. Keep trying. Here, here, let's do one big one all together. Ready? One, two, three. Yes, it turns green. You slam the accelerator down and everyone cheers. We did it. We changed the light. It's really an amazing superpower we have, being able to control stoplights with our breath, right? I don't know, you might have this superpower too. Give it a try sometime when you're on the road, see if it works. This gospel that Tammy just read for us, it is a powerful passage. And like most things of great power, it has been a source of both great comfort and great harm. Uh, you almost have to be brokenhearted to read this passage in all of its fullness. Like Tammy said in the introduction, um, this, this takes place on Monday, Thursday, this conversation. So right after the Last Supper, and Jesus has just said, one of you is going to betray me. And they all want to know who it is. So Jesus takes a piece of bread, dips it in the wine, and hands it to Judas Iscariot. And he says to Judas, go and quickly do what you're going to do. And Judas gets up and he leaves and goes out into the night. Um, then Jesus starts talking to the remaining disciples and says he's going to be leaving, gives them this new commandment to love one another. Um, and Peter, of course, starts protesting, right? He says, we're not going to let this happen. We'll stand by you forever. Where you go, we will go. Um, to which Jesus says, Peter, even before this very night is over, you will have denied me three times. After that, Jesus goes on to say these 14 verses that we just heard. Uh, and these 14 verses are the beginning of a three-chapter uh, speech that Jesus makes. It's usually called the Farewell Dialogue. Um, and it's Jesus trying to prepare these disciples for what's about to happen on Good Friday and beyond. So the disciples are devastated, right? Like they don't totally understand what's coming, but they know that Jesus is going. Um, and he's been, I mean, he's been their whole reason for being together, for being there. So presumably they are feeling some combination of confused and sad and sad and discouraged and, and wanting some explanations and some answers and some control. So into that setting, Jesus offers these words of encouragement and empowerment, right? Because there's verse one, and this is verses of beautiful encouragement to not lose hope. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then in the next verses, um, it, there's this comforting promise that Jesus says that he's, gonna, he's making a place for us, that he's coming back and that he'll welcome us home one day into this dwelling uh, where there's room for everyone. And then there's the final verses, 
which is this kind of incredible statement um, where Jesus says anything that he has done, we can do. Healing, feeding, resurrection, we are capable of all of these things. And that in fact, we're actually capable of far greater things than that because that same spirit that was in Jesus is now in us. So these words are encouraging and comforting and empowering and, and we do well um, to dwell on these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, <laughs> it's pretty tempting to just stop there, um, to be honest, but uh, we also do well to wrestle with these words. And I'm thinking especially of verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, because that's a very exclusive sounding claim. And I am the way, the truth, and the life can very quickly become, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life, um, only Christians will be saved, or even only my specific kind of Christian will be saved. Everyone else is wrong, all other kinds of Christians, all other kinds of faiths, all other kinds of ways of relating to God. And, and that's just not what we believe here, right? Um, so what do we do with these words? And this is actually a really good practice because if we love our scriptures, which we do here, and if we are serious about studying our scriptures, which we are here, we find plenty of things in there that go against what we say we believe. So when something in the Bible troubles us, um, here are five steps to wrestling faithfully with the words. Number one, look at the passage in its context. Number two, look how it fits into the Bible as a whole. Number three, look at the passage in its historical context. Four, consider that maybe it tells us more about humans than it does about God. And then five, lean on what we do know about God. So let's try it. Look at the context in the story. Uh, this is why I said you almost have to be brokenhearted to read this passage. Because if you know that it's Monday Thursday and Jesus has just called out Judas and Peter and said he's leading, you realize that these words are not pointing fingers at other faiths. These are words for the closest followers of Jesus, for people who are about to have their faith very much tested, and it's telling them, hey, you, you can do this. You, you already know me. You already know the way. You're going to be okay. And two, you look at how it fits into the Bible as a whole, um, because our whole Bible is sacred scripture, and we trust everything is in there for a reason. But we also know that it isn't all equally important. So when one part contradicts another part, we need some way of weighing one set of words against another. So, like, where is it mentioned in the Bible? When one of the 6,000 laws in Leviticus says, oh, by the way, be sure to slaughter that goat by the gate instead of outside in the field, I'm going to pay less attention to that um, than, than when Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment of all. Love God and love your neighbor. And then we look at, like, how many times is it mentioned in the Bible? Um, because I'm going to pay less attention to the one verse out of 31,000 that seems to speak against homosexuality, and I'm going to pay more attention to the 519 verses that explicitly say how we must welcome immigrants and foreigners who come into our land. And then, as a Christian, um, I am generally going to pay more attention to something Jesus says than something that's said by someone else. Uh, and the more certainly um, that the words are attributed to the historical Jesus, the more weight that's going to have. So like in this passage, this is Jesus talking, right? So I am paying attention. Um, but I'm also noting that this is from the Gospel of John, 
which was written much later than the other three Gospels. Um, and it has Jesus saying some very different things um, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those first three Gospels, they were written much closer um, to when Jesus actually lived, uh, and they're very similar to each other, right? Um, like word for word, things are the same, especially things that Jesus says. Um, but in John, the words are very different, which kind of suggests that the writer had another agenda um, other than capturing Jesus' historically accurate words. And that leads us nicely to point three. Um, look at how um, this passage fits into its context in history. The Jesus movement starts firmly, completely within Judaism, remains there for all of his earthly life, and it isn't until about a hundred years after Jesus dies that it begins to split off from Judaism into its own religion, and that is exactly when this gospel is written, is at the very beginning of that splintering. So this is a group that is trying to differentiate itself from everyone else, um, which is why, in some ways, it is a very exclusive-sounding us-first-them gospel, John's gospel. So how are we doing? Where are we at? Have we redeemed verse 6? No one comes to the Father except through me. How does it sound now? Does it sound not that bad? No judgment on other beliefs, just comforting some sad disciples. Is it softened but still not great? Like exclusive but understandable in the light of the context? Or are you totally unconvinced? Like don't try and sugarcoat this. This writer is convinced that everyone else is wrong. I might kind of be in that third boat, but, and this is getting long and kind of a little heady, maybe a better Bible study than a sermon. Um, but also, this is so important uh, because there are so many religious voices out there and we need some way of sorting through them. Now, I hear parents worry all the time um, about their kids as they're becoming adults and like worrying that maybe they don't want to practice Christianity anymore. Um, but we don't talk so much about the other very real fear, um, which is that as our kids get older, that they sometimes fall in with other branches of Christianity, um, that even though we share the same name, they go directly against um, what we believe, or, or maybe we ourselves start to fall for it a little bit. So, so what can we look for? Um, here are some questions uh, that we can ask to tell good religion from bad, and I'm putting those in quotes, of course. But uh, is it humble? Is it joyful? Does it bear good fruit? What does it teach us about control? Does it try to control people with rules about who's allowed to do what? Or does it try to make us think we're in control? Like if we just say the right thing, we'll get into heaven. If we just pray the right way, we'll get what we want. If we just live the right way, then we'll be in. Um, those are all signs of kind of control gone amok. So this gives us a litmus test. Uh, for evaluating all the religious voices out there. The louder they yell, the less we should listen. If it doesn't point toward joy, it doesn't point toward Jesus. If it puts ourselves or our country ahead of others, if it doesn't work to make other people's lives better in concrete and practical ways, then it is not the way of Jesus. No one is getting closer to the heart of God that way. And so whether it's a movement out there or a passage in our Bibles, we can look at things like that and say, okay, I think this one says more about humanity than it says about God. Good religion. It's humble and it's joyful. It loves to learn. It loves to laugh. And it is eager to jump in with anyone under any name who is working to care for the people who need that care the most. It's not about control. It's about freedom. 
And that includes the kind of painful freedom that comes from realizing how much of life is out of our control. And it's about hope. It says in any circumstance, yes, death and despair are real, but hope is realer. The story isn't over yet. God always has another word, and it is always a word of life, and love always wins in the end. Bad religion gives us a false sense of control. Good religion helps us make peace with our lack of control and then gives us enough hope to keep moving forward anyway. So you're driving down the road. <laughs> it's just you this time. You're running late because whoever isn't, and just as you approach the intersection, the light turns yellow and then red. You can blow on that light if you want to, or you can just relax and breathe because you trust that that green light will eventually come. Not because you will make it so, but because God is good and hope is real and death leads to new life and love always wins. It's kind of an amazing superpower you have. Some really good religion. Amen. All right. Lots of good news, hey? Hallelujah. Let's sing to Jesus. That's what's coming next. <laughs> 